You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Dr. Gary Russo, the Executive Director of Workforce Intelligence at Providence, a not-for-profit health system supporting roughly 120,000 caregivers across the U.S. West Coast. Gary has more than 10 years of experience building world-class analytics teams while leading people analytics and workforce planning initiatives. His passion is to empower others to embrace data-informed decision-making through education and inspiration. Dr. Russo's prior training in neuroscience research continues to give him unique insights into the challenges of translating complicated predictions into actionable recommendations. He has been recognized as a people analytics and planning trailblazer, a top HR leader to follow, and a top 25 innovator in healthcare. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Gary discuss listening to employees while protecting confidentiality, how to ask big questions and what matters most, how to leverage data to better understand and deal with burnout, workforce decisions and their economic impact on businesses, and how to measure it, plus the tech touch balance and how much can you really trust artificial intelligence. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today we have Gary Russo with us. Gary is uh, out of the West Coast of the United States, and he's the Executive Director, Workforce Intelligent Providence. Gary, welcome. You're in Santa. Sorry, where are you again? I'm in San Diego, California. San Diego. I'm jealous. It's not, uh, we got a lot of snow here in the East Coast of Canada. I'm sure you don't have any snow, although you have like floods and stuff going on down there. What's going on? Yeah, down there? we all get our extremes, right? So we get to visit snow, but I think the water came to us this time. Um, but I think this is the sleeve optional winter is the how I like to call it out here. Okay, yeah, good. Well, Gary, welcome. I um, Your name came up with uh, my friend Carlos uh, Adame, who was just like, you need to talk to Gary. He's going to be fantastic. What he's thinking about doing and the information he's able to analyze and, and make decisions for that. So I was really excited about today's conversation. So thanks uh, for providing your time. My absolute pleasure. And um, so I like you set it up, uh, you know, it's now Carlos's credit or fault if, uh, if you enjoy right. this, uh, this podcast, everyone. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so Gary, you've got um, a bit of a different background and I know we formally introduced you, but, but tell us, you, you, you really jumped around through some different things. So just, just bring the listeners through what got you to the seat you're in today. Yeah, I, um, I, I come from the atypical background, which I think is more and more common these days, especially in my current field of people analytics. So I started, you know, when I was growing up, I started in neuroscience. So I was doing research um, on cell biology and uh, if you remember the powerhouse of the cell mitochondria. So I was sitting at labs with microscopes and after doing some work after my PhD, I had an opportunity to come over to healthcare and um, in the spirit of transferable skills, it was mostly because I was really good at Excel, which is why we um, made that connection. And within first year, uh, moving over to a nonprofit hospital system, I fell in love with the work, um, with kind of the, the mission of healthcare. So started with kind of that academic researcher background, uh, moved into running uh, HRIS, essentially. What's AIS? Was able to, mm-hmm. Gary, what's, what's HRIS? Oh, my apologies. Um, so the HR information services, so really running the back end of the system uh, when you have your uh, 
payroll information entered so you get paid every week it might Got go it. through an hris um so kind of the head of that software segment of human resources Got it. but mm -hmm. and doing that i kind of touched a lot of areas so talent acquisition and recruitment um internal conversation with employees about their experience and satisfaction so really got to do a lot of human resources things but also sat down the hall from our finance group so made friends with the folks who do the budgeting and really um, that kind of set up my further career to be on the fence of kind of the, the human focus the the people-centered portion but also how do you get the business to keep the doors open long enough to pay people those paychecks um, so, and so it's like, then just growing. Yep. Great. And, and, and it sounds like, so all this is with the, the, the lens, or at least today of analyzing data to make better decisions. Or am I getting that wrong? That's, that's 100% it. So, you know, gut feel is often a really good start, but with the data that we collect, you know, actively, passively, we can make sure our decisions are good at scale. Everybody is making the good decision in the moment, but also to move the whole organization forward. So give me give me an example of that. Like other than the, the typical a survey that goes out, what's a yeah. good data set example that you'd be looking at and saying, okay, that's interesting. Here's where I'm digging. What's the, you know, give put some meat on the bones for us here. You know, I'll share the um the story that made me fall in love with sticking around with this field. And it was looking at staffing. Um, so who was scheduled to take care of our patients? And you want to make sure you have enough nurses and support staff to clean the room, make sure the patient is comfortable and help them get home healthy. Well, reviewing that, you can start to see where did we not have enough people? We paid extra. Um, where was there, you know, the minimum and it slowed things down and people didn't have a great experience. So I analyzed a combination of who was scheduled, what were we paying, and then also looking at the kind of the experience information of how are people feeling when they're working there? Is it, do they feel overworked? And came across a, an opportunity to bring on about 50 something more nurses while also saving money for the organization. So it was a conversation that led to, we can hire more people, provide more jobs for our community, serve more patients, and it makes the, the overall organization more financially stable um, because we're not paying overtime. We're not paying all this stuff. We're getting people through. So interesting. So, so in this analysis, it was how do we create more business? So i.e. to create jobs, we can then create more business, drive more revenue, more profitable, but also the balance of where people, you said they were overworked. And so this, this creates a mm -hmm. balance there because you had added staff. Absolutely. So it was the business was already at our door. We were serving those patients, but we were working people extra hours. They were pulling in more overtime and overall it was just a, a harder experience so mm -hmm. being able to bring more people in to take care of those patients made everyone have more support who was working there and overall was just more financially viable as well. So I'm curious on, on this topic, when, when you're analyzing humans and the, uh, their jobs, so I assume you're, 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 mm -hmm. you're looking at a subsection of workers uh, in, at Providence. How do you, how do you, um, categorize things so that 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 you're not making decisions based on your weakest performers so, so, mm. so the data must be different between a top performer and a bottom performer and if you mix them together they blend <laughs> somewheres yes. and then so because i think about that sometimes i would say to our group hey 
you know, and when I had my security company, this happened so many times, I'd say, well, let's be careful, you're talking about making a change in the business. And this was just, you know, with facts, not analyzing data per mm -hmm. se. But I say, we're, we're, we're talking about making a change based on our C players, you know, why, why are we changing our business to accommodate folks that that um, are weakest performers versus, you know, the A players don't need that? How do you how do you do that at scale? I love that you bring that up because um, the thing I probably pulled from my neuroscience background is that we know essentially nothing about sorry, how brain Gary, can you tell me neuroscience is science of the brain? Am I, or yes. Wrong? Okay. Nope, sorry. neuroscience, science of the brain. So really, in my case, how things work. Um, and, and really, when you go into the neuroscience field, you learn that you don't know a whole lot about how you work as a, as a person. Um, I took that with me into HR. And I, I love to say that the, the hardest part about human resources is that, well, you can do all your questionnaires in the world, people might lie. Um, but also the, the positive intent, people don't always know, right? What, what don't you like? Well, I don't like the parking. Oh, I totally forgot to mention that I have a toxic work culture, but I, I really didn't like the parking today. So I always like to be balanced and, and to directly answer your question, um, when I am, a, I don't ever personally like to look at people and research people themselves. I don't think that's fair. I think that that is almost missing the point because it takes away the fact that there is an employer-employee relationship happening. So in many ways, it's not, well, what about what do we do about the C player? It really, for me, starts to become what overall structure have we built as a company that, and what does that support? Because if you've built your company that only the A player can succeed and they're burning out. Why? I mean, look around you. There's no one left to take on jobs anymore. And you're kind of demanding your pool gets smaller. That's it's just not very fair. So really what I when I come at this, it's not studying or researching humans per se. It is looking at the processes and agreements we put in place. If we say that we're always going to have the very bare minimum staffing for a shift, that is a choice. And there is a natural consequence if someone gets sick and we have to decide, do we want as an organization to bear the burden of someone not showing up because they are rightfully taking their PTO and we lose business? Or do we want to account for that and bring another person on that makes life a bit easier and handles things? kind of unexpected situations. Can you, can you walk us through another great example of uh, analyzing data that said, hey, we're headed left, but the data is saying maybe it's time to head right. So similar example, what you talked about, just, just, just another colorful example um, that, that is for the listeners. Yeah. Let me see if I can uh, figure out one a little bit different than on the pay side. Ah, one thing that we always try to concern ourselves with is, are we paying fairly? Um, there's, this is a, a, I love this topic because there's a very emotional um, element of pay and having kind of done some leadership in the employee compensation world to handling pay for a while, um, I always advocate no one really will ever be or kind of should ever be happy with their pay. Like as, a, as an advocate for yourself, um, pay is important. So that is your position is to advocate for your own pay. Mm -hmm. So one thing to look at from a, a business perspective is 
if you are a positive employer, the employer, you want to give everybody all the money in the world. I like to say that you can pay everyone a million dollars an hour and you will do so for the next three and a half seconds before all the banks shut down your accounts and you're not a business anymore. Um, so how do you balance that? And one of the ways to, that we've done some analytics is to look into not only the turnover trends, who's been leaving at different levels of pay, but then also, especially with the improvements and, and re very recently in pay transparency, exposing um, pay levels of jobs online, asking, are we being fair and competitive? So if the people down the street are paying $5 more an hour than us, that's a big deal. And what we can do internally is look at where are people positioned in the range? Are they leaving when they're at a certain part of that range and not leaving as much higher in that range? And we can do the analysis to say there's actually pockets where not only can we be breaking even, because as people are leaving the organization, it does incur a cost. So we can pay them more money and it's perfectly fine. There's situations where the organization, again, can actually make money because turnover is very expensive. So if you are $5 behind the market and we find that out and we see people have noticed and they are leaving or they will leave, we can make that adjustment, not lose the money and increase people's pay. And that's a very different strategy um, and much more easy to implement than let's give everybody at the same time a raise, which is much more expensive and doesn't help the people who in this case are being paid low in that market directly. But sorry, in this case, you don't, so, so you've done an analysis to say, okay, turnover rates X and the cost of going to market training onboarding is Y. You took those delta together and it makes more sense to pay Johnny five more dollars an hour, right? That's Essentially. it. Right. So, but you don't do it all at once, but you're transparent about the pay. Tell me about that. So you've made that decision. I get it. That makes sense. And so Johnny and Sarah and Susie are all making, you know, $12 and you're going to put them to 17, but you don't do it all at once, but you're transparent. Doesn't that cause some more problems or, or not? Well, it's not necessarily not doing it all at once because I think, um, so there's two main types of pay changes. There's everybody is going to get their annual increase cost of living type thing and there can also be market adjustments so this whole job is we really want to be bringing in top talent that means we like to pay more than our competitors we need to move this job up so i'm more referring to like the market um direct pay and that can happen all at once for those groups of people um but what it can do because these to your point these can be very um these might need to be waves. It allows you to tackle segments of your organization in bite-sized chunks that you can afford to do. Right. And instead of basically the opposite that you can sometimes see is half of the organization really wants to get paid more. Well, we simply can't afford to pay half the organization more right now. So we're just not going to can be a, a you know one of the potential options that is chosen. This prevents that by being very targeted. And on the pay transparency front, uh, one of the things that I'm loving, frankly, is the continued push across several states. And of course, um, overseas, Europe and things like that has been active for a while of how much is the role reasonably expected to pay an individual um, when joining in. So those mandates to post those ranges online. And I think that is not only helpful as an employer, but will hopefully become very empowering for 
job seekers to really better understand what they can expect to see when they commit that labor. And so did you guys, you, you did get there to say, hey, this would be the minimum for this role. You know, did you kind of go, what was that guy, Dan Price? And he came out with, I forget, he's got a payment company and, and, and he said everyone's going to make 70,000 bucks a year. Oh, you know Zappos, is that right? No, it wasn't Zappos. He's got something, I forget the we should get him on oh, the show. Oh, 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 yeah, you're. I uh, totally remember what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Like, obviously, I don't know if he had done a an analysis, but what do you think when someone says, "Okay, this is now"? Does that put you into a corner? You know, if the uh, you know your business changes, economics change. I mean, what he was trying to do is say, "Okay, that'll be the minimum. We'll get top talent here." Obviously, that was probably the intent, right? Um, yes, I I do recall reading on that because it was so interesting, and I believe probably poorly misspeaking on on behalf of this awesome story but yes um that 70,000 was essentially the number that could help people really feel um comfortable and and kind of thriving from that wage and then that they could focus on work and i you know i don't know that paints anyone into a corner per se i can personally agree with trying to give people those thriving wages um but i don't know that it paints into a corner so particularly being in a not-for-profit healthcare space, we, there really isn't a lot of room, right? There isn't this right. 50% overhead. So what you see, I think if uh, you're looking around at jobs, the same software engineer position for one of your big, um, well-known brand name tech companies will be able to pay more for that role than a startup or someone doing a similar role in like a school district. Right. And it really has to do with that profit um, margin and, and ability to commit more to that labor. So I personally would encourage every business, if you can pay 70,000 or increase that pay, especially from a, we know it will help our people be happier, please do that. But I don't know that it mandates everybody can or, or should, depending mm -hmm. on their position. I want to go back to gathering data because I feel like in, mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about this, it, it feels like it can be a little messy, right? Because some of this data yes. is someone's opinion at a certain point in time. Like how, what are some best practices as you gather data to make good decisions? So, you know, whether it's, uh, you're, you're measuring burnout, you know, how do you measure that? Because someone said, I'm not, I'm feeling burnt out today, but I've also fallen behind on projects. Like how, what are the best practices to get clean data to allow you to make some decisions? What do you think about when you when you try to get some, some data points? So I believe my best practices I typically recommend is assume that people are thinking about what happened today and not a, a deeper period of time and really focus on fairness. Are they capable of answering the question you're asking? Because Give me an example. Give me an example of, of when someone gets that right and when, when you get it wrong. And I have my own in my head, which I'll follow up with after you Absolutely. Go. So um, if you come out and, and say a question of, are you burnt out? Yes or no? Um, I don't know. Podcast listeners, raise your hand. Do you, do you always know when you're burnt out or do you figure out you were burnt out three weeks later? Right? Like, can someone honestly say accurately, yes, I am burnt out? Never mind the, which is tip number two, trust building. Do right. they feel safe to give that answer? Right? So 
then what's the right way to approach that? How do you find if someone's burnout? What's the, I, I agree. I think it's too broad. I think that's opinions and your version of burnout is different than my version of burnout. I've got different things happening and, uh, you know, I, I have three kids, you've got two cats, you know, and so we have different lifestyles. And so there's so many factors that may play into that might be outside of work. How do you, how do you clean up? What's the right way to capture that? I think there's never one one right way. I found that building a relationship that you can ask more often and make it more of a checking in and use it as a, as a trend. Hey, how are you doing this week? Is this week harder than last week? What's going on? Um, that is a, don't ask once and hope for the best answer. You kind of have, if it's important, you have to make it, it's just like a, a true relationship. You have to check in. You have to make sure things are okay. And it's really that trending, that pulse that we like to use in HR, uh. that less invasive, it's not this like 100 question survey, but at least you get to know each other. And I, I do say each other because oftentimes it's meant to be the leader who really should be having these conversations. I like that because that does make more sense. I, I get it. You know, when you take the third month that of every year to ask this deep question, you're asking a point in time that changes, but the trend will say, wow, the organization, the temperature's gone up for two months. That's interesting. What's going on right now, right? And and that should allow you to dig a little more. So how, how do you how do you get the data? Is it, okay, hey, leaders, ask these pointed questions, and then we want you to report, and you're typing in a spreadsheet? Like, how does the data flow? You know, this is, um, I'm going to speak to external knowledge and experience because we're yeah. we're actively rebuilding right now um, at Providence and I don't want to speak to a half implemented, sure. you know, new, new structure. I will say that everyone has done the, the annual survey. Um, that one, I feel like listeners will understand that the, the problem is saying, well, well, how was last year? I don't know. I can barely remember what day it is. Right. Um, well, what I have heard is wildly successful. And I would, would pattern from, we have heard from other healthcare systems, especially, but a, a few others in the workforce space have started to do weekly um, surveys where they bring out a survey to some of the organization every week. And then no one gets surveyed more than every like month or two. And these and, are, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is short and sweet because it's 10 pages. Oh, out, you know, right? no, like it's like five questions, nothing big. Um, and a lot of it is essentially how are basic questions, but how are you feeling like open text? And I, I love that um, more advanced AI typey things are coming out mostly just to help take a whole bunch of feedback and digest it in ways that make it a little easier to parse, but do that a lot and spread it out. So you're getting a constant flow from part of your organization. And the findings were hilarious and awesome because what they found is if they did every single week, they were getting new responses. They could actually see the impact of things like uh, pop culture and social events. Um, if there was a big announcement or something and the government did, it would show up in the feedback and how people were feeling. You could actually see how sentiment was affected, not just by their exact job, but all those things that would kind of pollute your annual survey. Well, what happened yesterday? Well, there's a big flood. How are you feeling? I'm kind of stressed out. They could track that and they were very creative. They, they actually noticed it and started bringing it back into their communications and saying, here's our company response to this thing that just happened that you obviously care about. It was really just a masterclass and just always on listening without bothering someone all the time. Mm, interesting. And, and, Back to data flow, how do you think the best practice to, to use 
these data points and and, and it's, it's collected together should someone analyze it like yourself and then kind of be able to you know tell the story behind it and then present it to leadership like what what's the process as it goes to leadership for a for a decision well first with consent first one is the with consent i'm a big fan of people opting into things yeah. um but ultimately i think there's twofold i think that if the worker employee just whoever's answering the survey is comfortable i always feel it's best that they're directly or the someone someone who can directly control the situation and surroundings of that employee should be informed because it's step one of helping burnout step one of addressing a compensation concern or whatever has to be the person who's clicking the button and approving whatever change has to happen so they really should continue to have that relationship i really enjoy seeing um, kind of the anecdotes and the written responses make their way to senior leadership on top of the, the general trends you know the, the biggest concern right now is pay the biggest concern right now is workload but then having the ability to include those anecdotal sentences for someone a real person to say here's what i'm experiencing because inevitably, it seems like everybody has great intentions, but the anecdotes show where the best laid plans are starting to fall apart, where it didn't work for them. So it's a bringing the human voice, that individual opinion that represents some of the majority opinions and saying, what can we do as an organization? How do we invest in this to fix these system, systemic problems? And and is that are you referring to? So in a survey, you'd have an open-ended option, like tell me why you felt that way. Is that what you're kind of referring to as, as one yeah. form of that? Tell yeah. So how's workload? Not awesome. Tell me more. Right. Open box. Open box. Right. H harder to analyze that data, but but uh, should give you more color. Um, it's probably that balance of data plus some uh, the human approach, right? Absolutely. So there's more and more technology, even free, that lets you zoom in a little bit and understand what's in that big old block of text. But also, it's important. Someone can sit there and just start to read it. You know, right. that's it's just there to read. And I think that's the biggest complaint um, and, and almost shame is when these surveys come out and people do offer those opinions and it's just not read. I think that's we, we hear that out and about of why should I bother? No one reads it. And I think that's the that's the critical distinction to start that culture of trust is that it has been read. And we are also, we're so intentioned about reading it. We're going to ask your consent about who should see it. Mm. Well, it's funny. We, we had a big debate uh, on our survey that was just went out. Um, we had, I think, 10 questions and we debated the what it was going to be anonymous or uh, or, <laughs> or not anonymous and, and Jody who's our um, chief people and culture officer um, she really thought it should be anonymous because because of the questions right yeah um, and I actually you know at first I disagreed then I agree because we asked questions like do you see yourself working here in two years and she thought well if someone's got plans to leave they're not going to put their name on that you know and, <laughs> and, and she was right and our questioning has changed. So we're back to kind of language, I guess. But, you know, instead of saying, do you feel your manager communicates well with you? We're back to burnout, like communicates well. Well, that's different to me than you versus saying, you know, we, we kind of make statements and say, do you agree or disagree? And so, so right. our statement would be, I feel very safe 
to approach my manager with any of my concerns. And so, because people essentially know they can, they know how they feel. Is that the right approach? Are we getting, you know, or do you think that strategy will work? You know, if you, if you ask people how they're feeling about a situation and, you know, describe, uh, you know, you know, using a, and using a lifter. So I feel really great or I don't feel great or, um, you know, to, to get the, the facts, does that, does that strategy work? What are your thoughts when, when you're, when we're surveying? You know, I, the more I go into this from a, a true data perspective, because I've always wanted to balance the fact that people don't always have the right answer when they're answering a survey. Yeah. I keep going deeper and deeper into relationship therapy realm. And, you know, it, it, it sheds a lot of light because how do you feel about your manager's performance is not a feeling it's a judgment no, that's right um and so that you can, can control really your own feelings how you feel about a situation right. though right sorry keep going oh no i we're, this is this is the passion part right so um what i have seen work better is to really control what are you asking is to your point situational feelings um if you're worried about communication is it how do you feel about the communication of the company well the communication in a company is like a fact how do i feel about the email i forgot to read is is kind of neutral um were you surprised to find something out that you thought was important um or were you late to find out something important mm. um what were do you constantly feel stable and and how the organization is doing um, either prompt the feeling or really ask someone to reflect on a situation that would signify a bad uh, communication outcome. And if they have never heard of that before in their life, and no, I feel great. Well, that's your positive response. But it almost shaping the questions to take the penalty of the answer as far away as possible. Will you be here in a year? That's challenging. Would you be enthusiastic in your current role at this organization if things did not change from how they are today. Mm -hmm. Got it. Right. That is like, well, what? Hey, they're thinking I'm going to be here for two years. I'm safe. Well, no, I don't want it to be exactly the same. I'd love a raise, a promotion. That copier is so noisy. Like it, it helps. Well, you know, a way, a way we rephrase that question is: Would you be excited to apply for the same role that you have today? Right. And that's that, that I love that. Love question. that. It's a great one. Right. I love that question. Right. Because it is, uh, I feel, yes, I would feel excited. No, I wouldn't. I'm neutral. I'm three out of five or I'm one out of five. I would definitely not be excited. I don't agree with that statement. You know, sometimes they're right in the strike zone. I think that if you can be thoughtful about those and, and, uh, you know, if you can use it, is it an adjective that says like, you know, you're excited? What, what is excited? Is that an adjective? I'm dyslexic. So I don't even know how to categorize it. How do you, is oh, it what is the official term? Yeah, it's um, anyways emotional. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have but team I, members who will jump in on this, be like, ah, oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but my point is, you need to kind of heighten it up. You have to push on one side or the other, and then you know, I, 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 you have to push the feelings. And so, I'm excited. Are you disappointed? I, I, you know, I think that those words are important before you put it into some uh, uh, mm -hmm. in front of something else. And I like what you said. You know, did you feel? I think you might have said disappointed that you didn't get that news on time or whatever. Like, okay, fine. That that. Um, I think that, I think that gets us going in the right direction versus the opinion about someone else. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it, it gets us closer. Not, and I, and I don't think that stuff's perfect either, by the way, I still think it can be challenging. And I like to have the open-endedness and, and so, 
our thought after our, our survey was, and we just did this yesterday, I believe, maybe the day before, but we had an open discussion about the results and a collaborative discussion about how do we move the needle on things that maybe we can do better on and, and you know, had a discussion about that. And then the next step is, hey, here's what, thanks for the feedback. Here's what we're going to implement. And let's check in a bit later. Does that make sense from a follow-up perspective or are we missing something? You know, my, my team and I just did that. We did the very similar thing of we, we got our results. Thank you. Um, let's talk. You know, what, especially we didn't even like neutral as an answer, right? We do. If you were enthusiastic, yes, that's great. But like, let's talk about it. Right. Um, because we would find that maybe it was just an unclear question and we, we learned something or um, there was something that was like, well, it could be better, but it wasn't the team. It was something broader. It was something else happening. It was, it was really insightful. And I, it reminds me that the survey itself and the follow-up is part of the culture you're trying to build. Like the, the awesome culture is talking about that survey and having an environment where you can talk about it. So go back to, maybe we've touched on this, but workforce choices and economic influence on the business and how to measure those things. Mm -hmm. Is that just about someone else paying more or, or not? <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be. Um, you know, the simple idea of workforce choice and, and economics, which is like, so such an academic way we phrase it, right? We want to spend money where it matters. Health per dollar is kind of the, the pinnacle metric for a healthcare system and in, in Providence in many ways. But also when you think about spend on your workforce, I think the average company is like more than 60% of total expense goes to people. Wouldn't it be awesome if we put it where it mattered, right? Like, so benefits is the easy example. Hey, um, you have, we're, we're spending money on you for a benefit that if you ever jump out of a plane, we're going to get you the extra colorful parachute. And everyone's like, that's cool. That's never going to happen. Nor do I want the colorful parachute. Could I have a coffee? Like why it, it's actually counterproductive to give someone a benefit saying we're spending money on you for a gift they didn't want. Um, in many ways, that's what we're really doing. If we're going to spend the money, because we are spending the money, shouldn't it go someplace that actually helps the people we're trying to give a good experience? I think that's great. So you're saying lots may maybe make that mistake. There's a fancy foosball table. No one plays foosball. And, uh, and, the, and so the memes. Value to the... <laughs> What's that? The memes just tell it all. Um, yeah. You know, the gushing water out of a tube and, you know, slap on the, the, the fiber fix and uh, pizza party. No. <laughs> yeah. So, so how do you get that information? Is that, you know, like I'm, I'm wondering, as you said that if we missed that the other day, as we're throwing these ideas out, I don't know, like, how do you get to that baseline? Here's what I'd really like. It is a, a, a warm cup of free coffee versus the parachute. You know, there's, there's two or three formal ways of getting information. Um, you can ask directly. That's our surveys. Um, the other one that's relevant is, well, there's really two major ways, but passive data gathering. If you're really curious, and we'll stick with benefits because it's easy and there, that there is data, um, go look. I mean, if, if you have your lovely colorful parachute program, how many people used it last year? Right. Uh, this is a benefits teams do it a lot. Like it's a pretty big deal, but if they're not using it, that's a really big sign. And it's uh, not, negative, by the way, it's not. 50% or less or four, like, when is it kind of like, ah, this is a waste. Like what's the percentage that is alarming on the not using? 
or using me or what's a percentage on the other side that's like wow this is this is impactful you know one of the the most impactful things for me at providence is that we do this extensive discernment process for for questions like this it it, it involves like should we offer or does it make sense to continue offering a, a care service that we lose money on and not many people use but it were the only people who do it right so there's it does touch ethics if there is a benefit for a health condition that is rare and it costs money but it it changes the life of the person who has it that is a very different conversation than something foosball-y because i i don't right. frankly know that a foosball table is a medical recommendation for anything um right so there's the obvious kind of what is the weight of the decision you're about to make and there's that ethical component, but then, then you do the active conversations, right? Like 10% of people use this. Is that enough? That becomes a much deeper, like human conversation you need to have. Right. Got it. So, so Gary, what's some of the things you're thinking about today? What are the, what are the things that you're stuck on or projects you, that are very interesting that you're working on? Um, yeah. Where's your head at today? What, what problems are you trying to solve? So two items come to mind first. The first one being this is the hardest talent market we've really seen in, in known history. Um, everybody is either overworked and can't find staff. Um, so people themselves are inevitably burnt out. They are, whether we know it or not, traumatized from some version of the last several years, um, you know, kind of socially and health. And we're just all trying to scrape by. We're also watching some, what I would say, fading practices on how we want to treat our, our employees. This idea that employees are still cogs and will hire, fire, tell them what to do. I do think it's going to be, it's hard to get rid of, but it's becoming a thing of the past for progressive companies. Yeah. My thoughts really are around how do we get people to get to their job, their new job, faster, better, easier. Um, without all the hoops, if you are capable of hitting our minimum requirements, welcome. Like, how do we get there? And how do we go back to almost the, the pre-1980s culture of welcome to, you, you walked through the door, we will path you through an entire career here. We, we know ourselves as a company well enough to give you that guidance and say, if you want to stick around, this is what we can give you and when. But Gary, is the data telling you that that's what people want? Because I keep kind of, I, I guess I keep believing, maybe seeing the opposite that I, I kind of feel like someone who joins my organization, they might have a two-year run. Like I don't really yeah. anticipate they're going to be here for a long time. So are you solving a, are you trying to change behavior? You know, what I, I do this to my own team. I'm like, just help me make your resume shine if you would like to go somewhere else um, right. or let me help you. Uh, make yeah, your resume it. shine. Yeah. And ultimately, yeah, they may have a two-year stint. It could be uncontrollable. Um, but the reality is it's that's how, in my mind, we play fair and, and build that culture is as the employer side, how do we empower our leaders and empower even our, our job seekers to know if they want to hang out, they're valued. We we trust you enough on hire to say like, there's a 10 year journey here for you if you want it. And we really, really hope that if you're here for only two years, we've left a good experience for you. 
Right. And then maybe you come back because I'll, I'll pitch for healthcare for a second. There is a massive shortage of nurses. We will, we will say hello again um, at this point. If people don't leave healthcare properly, we're going to see you again. So I really hope you have an awesome time while you're here. Mm, I like that. And, and back to the data points and how are you using data to help find staff or are you? So if there's a sh staff shortage, what data points are helpful in that you know, in that strategy to make strategic decisions to say, oh, this mm -hmm. is where we should be looking or what, what should you be doing differently? So this is the same idea of people try to make their individual good decisions. And then the data helps us align lots of good decisions in the same direction. We can start to see, you know, fully review and ask, are we getting enough candidates or applicants for a job posting? If not, why not? And directly review, oh, did we managed to not post it correctly and we just didn't include information because that happens all the time. Um, did we not account for market shift? What's going on that tells us that no one's looking at it? When we do get candidates, what's their experience like in bulk? Are they getting interviewed right away? Are they hanging out for two weeks and we're not contacting them at all and maybe they get a call back? That's not great. And then you know, even down the process. So we've got you know arbitrary numbers, 100 people come in for an interview, 10 get through. Did we literally have 90 people that were wildly unqualified and couldn't fill some role of this organization? Right. What, what was their opportunity that we didn't think about hard enough before saying no, thank you? And how do those two sets work together? So I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning mm -hmm. someone from HR recruiting, being involved in that process, and someone from your team working side by side, checking, balancing, you know, okay, we're at the next hurdle. We've either had applicants, or we haven't. Let's stop, and and, and we either keep moving because things are good, or we reviewed the data right here, right now, and we need to strategize about a new plan. Is that how it works, or not? It's them. It basically broader HR talent acquisition recruiters, um, the manager. It really is uh, full court full court press on this because yeah. it's always very situational. The idea of do you have enough applicants? That is one conversation, but in many ways, we're, we're trying to build toward a culture of find a reason that you aren't stay, saying yes to begin. Like if this person meets the qualifications, we want the pressure to be welcome to Providence, right? We, we right. really want that to be, we're, we're so confident that we ask for the right things. We know ourselves and are well enough to ask for the right candidate. And then we can just say, welcome. And, you know, how do we get out of our own way when that's not happening? I like that. Gary, before you, you run today, what's something that we haven't talked about that uh, you think would be in, important or interesting to our listeners? In this big data AI world, it only emphasizes how important like human conversations are and anecdotes. Everything that we kind of pulled up in the money ball spotlight and say, hey, it's uh, the computer will tell us what to do. It won't when people become more complicated than our initial assumption, which would be the moment after you think you have the right answer. Um, so if you say, yep, we have this cool algorithm that's going to tell us if this person's going to leave, the moment you say we have it, it's wrong because mm -hmm. people are always changing. So yeah. this is the time to be more human. Right. And, and so is it sounds like you're, you're suggesting anybody, of course, using AI to check and balance that with a human logic versus just taking the data and saying that's, that's the way it should be, correct? 
AI, machine learning, all the, all the fancy shiny yep. things, they're awesome at automating and streamlining very standard things. Like which the means trends you, that you talked about. Yes. I mean, it, it allows you to take a whole bunch of data and make it digestible. So you have a half chance of looking at it, mm. but it can't replace a human. That is well, not know, what it does. I, I thought of a couple examples. One was I had heard this and, and this isn't a fact, but I edited a speaker had told me the story that that Amazon had used an AI for their hiring and they went back, you know, across, I don't know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but the last 5,000 hires and, and sure enough, they took that data, analyzed it and, and they let the AI make some decisions on who it was going to hire resumes to put in front of a manager. And they looked in, in a 90 day period, call it was that they were only hiring men because the AI had looked back and there was 85% of men had been hired in the past. So they just basically said, yeah, well, obviously it means that women shouldn't be hired. And so it was a wrong decision. You know, is that a good example of when it's a great example, right? It can get Um, away from you. We we see it everywhere. Um, AI used to help judges make uh, decisions on what they're going to bring out as kind of the um, words escaping me, but essentially the, years of uh, confinement and all these things like judges would rely on the computer the computer was biased um, right ultimately the the trouble with these systems is that we as humans have to fight our pride of assuming we've done things correctly in the past if you right. assume that what you've been doing has been wrong the entire time that might be a good litmus test of should we use that information to train our future process mm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I, I was reading a book last night and it was talking about that balance too. And it was saying, you know, a good example would be if AI um, looked at the human patterns of sleep and what happens when you wake up, you know, you get up and have breakfast, it would assume that sleeping makes you hungry, right? But it's right. wrong. It just, right? It's just another example of you need a human to to be involved in the process and, and check and balance that. Well, well Gary, look, Thanks. Uh, thanks for this conversation. I was trying to keep up as this is some of this stuff is new to me. I'm trying to learn. So, so thanks for your patience and thanks for your guidance on, um, on analytics and, and how data can help us make better decisions. Yeah, just, um, I really appreciate you pausing me, asking questions. It's been a pleasure. And I think the reality is that um, rest assured, there are people doing complex things to try to do the right thing. Um, But hopefully you have heard of them. That's the real trick. That's it. Gary, thanks again. Thanks for stopping in. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. For more information about Gary, please follow him on LinkedIn. To learn more about our books or our Scaling Culture Masterclass on how to build and sustain a resilient, high-performing team, please go to scalingculture.org. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment and share the podcast with one of your friends or colleagues. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.